Well, last week uh, we had Sika Yulatoa here, one of our miss- missionaries in Montana. He's working there with his wife and family on the Flathead Reservation. Uh, he preached on the prodigal son, and it was a really, really good sermon, a really good reminder uh, for us about how we need to view God as a father and how we can do that through Jesus. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, I encourage you sometime this week, get online and, uh, and pick up that message and, and take a listen to it. But this morning, we're going to be jumping back into our series in the book of Romans. Uh, so if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 4. The passage we're going to look at this morning is verses 13 through 15. But before we get there, and before we read it, I just want to summarize a little bit of where we've been in this book of Romans to help us regain our bearings before we jump back into the weeds, as it were, in Romans 4. So I want to give you a little bit of an overview of Paul's flow of thought leading up to uh, Romans chapter 4, where we are, and then we'll dive in and and focus in on chapter 4. So in chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul demonstrated to us the unrighteousness of all men, how all men stand in need of the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus. And then in 3.21 through uh, verse 31 of chapter 3, he showed us what God has done through Jesus to remedy this unrighteousness of man and how those who are unrighteous can become righteous by faith alone in Jesus. And then as we turn the page, as it were, to chapter 4, Paul begins to use Abraham as an example of one who is made righteous by faith. And he does this in order to prove his doctrine of justification by faith alone, to show the primacy of faith for our relationship with God, that if we're going to relate to him, it must be first and foremost on the basis of faith and not of works. So Paul uses Abraham in three different ways, and this is where we jump into chapter 4. Three different ways in chapter 4 that Paul uses Abraham. So in verses 1 through 8, Paul shows that Abraham was made righteous by faith and not by works. Dwayne covered that a couple weeks ago. And then in verses 9 through 12, he shows us that Abraham's faith preceded or came before his physical circumcision, thereby showing the priority of faith in our relationship with God. And now as we jump into our passage, 13 through 25, what we really see Paul do is to demonstrate how the promise to Abraham and his descendants were given on the basis of faith and not on the basis of the law or came to be realized or fulfilled through faith and not through the law. So that's really what we're going to see here this morning as we look at 13 through 25. And I believe really what Paul is doing in this passage is two things. I think that he is using the story of Abraham to further his argument that we're made right with God on the basis of faith alone. But then I also think that what he's doing is using the story of Abraham as a way to increase our faith. And so we're going to handle those two, two things in turn. So let's take here to reading the text, and then we'll pray as usual. So let's look here at verse 13. We'll read all the way through 25. 
For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for this story of Abraham that Paul is recounting here. Help us, Lord, to see the truth that you want us to to grab from it. And Lord, that you might be working in us as we see and as we hear the word to increase our faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as I said before, Paul is using this story of Abraham for two reasons. First, to further his argument about justification by faith alone, and then to increase our faith. So let's first consider how Paul is using Abraham to further his argument. And we see this in verses 13 through 15 with the promise given to God and how that promise, or the promise given by God, and how that promise was realized through faith. So look again at 13 through 15. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So here Paul is adding another proof for his doctrine of justification by faith alone by introducing us to the promise of God to Abraham and his descendants and how that promise came to be realized. And the first thing that he does is he summarizes the promise for us. He says the promise uh, to Abraham was that he would be heir of the world. Now, Paul is using this phrase to summarize the threefold promise that was given to Abraham and his descendants. 
Back in the Genesis account, we see that God promised Abraham three things. First, that he would have countless descendants. Secondly, that his descendants would inherit the land of Canaan. And thirdly, that every nation would be blessed through Abraham's seed. And so Paul is summarizing for us the promise the Jewish Christians in his audience would have been well familiar with what he was talking about here. But after summarizing the promise, he goes on to tell us the point here, and that is how the promise came to be fulfilled or realized. He says the promise to Abraham and his offspring did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now this is very important, especially for the Jewish Christian, because the Jews believed that the promises of God were only for those who obeyed the law of Moses. They believed and they saw the law of Moses and obedience to it to be the conduit to which the promises of God flow to the people of God. That's the way that they understood what God had revealed in the Old Testament Scriptures. But what Paul is saying is that this is not the case. That the promise of God comes not through the conduit of law, but through faith to the people of God. And the example of Abraham makes this abundantly clear. And one of the reasons that Paul doesn't say here why it makes it abundantly clear is because the promise was realized in Abraham's life hundreds of years before the law at Sinai was even given to Israel. This story here is showing us that this promise that the blessings of God would come to the people of God, to Abraham and his descendants, come through faith and not through the law. Now Paul does not simply state this fact that the promise comes through faith, but he proves it by showing us again the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was not to be the conduit to the promises of God reaching the people of God. Verse 14 and 15, he says, For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Here's the purpose. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. See, Paul says that if the promise was realized through keeping the law, then it cannot be realized through faith. Those two things are mutually exclusive. If they have the same purpose, it's got to be one or the other. But what Paul is showing us here is that the law cannot bring about the reality of the promise because it only brings wrath and knowledge of sin. Now, Paul tells us this real briefly here, and he actually unpacks this for us later in chapter 5, this use of the law here. But the point here is, that faith is primary. That faith is the way through which the promises given to Abraham and his descendants came to be fulfilled through faith and not through the law. Now the question that Paul seeks to answer here as we move into 16 is why? Why did God determine that these promises would come through faith and not through the law? Look at verse 16. He says that is why it depends on faith. Two reasons. Purpose. In order that the promise may rest on grace. And secondly, that the promise may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. 
As he goes on to say, both to the adherent of the law, that is the Jew, and to those who share the faith of Abraham, that is the Gentiles. So first, Paul says that God determined that the promises of salvation would be given on the basis of faith alone so that the promise might rest on God's grace alone. You see, God from the very beginning determined that salvation would rest on His grace alone so that the praise due for that salvation would go to Him alone. We've already been over this. We've already covered this. If we work or do something to gain our salvation, then praise is taken away from God and put on us. But the Scriptures testify over and over and over again, and even if you flip back to the beginning of Romans when he's introducing the Gospel to us, what does he say the ultimate purpose of the Gospel is in converting people and in sanctifying them? For His name's sake. That that is what Scripture testifies from beginning to end, that God is going to redeem a people for His name's sake, for the glory of His name. That's what Paul is saying here. God determined that it would be on the basis of faith so that all praise and all glory would go to Him, and rightly so. Now, the second reason why God determined that the promise would come through faith is so that both Jews and Gentiles could receive the promise. You see, God determined from the beginning that salvation would come through faith so that the Gentiles could be included in the blessing of salvation. The Gentiles could not be included in the promise if it was dependent upon a law that was only given to Israel. How could they become a part of that? They couldn't. What Paul is saying here is that not only was this promise given to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. So from the very beginning, God determined that it would be on the basis of faith for two reasons. So that His glory might be praised exclusively. Him. It's all about Him. And secondly, so that that vision and revelation that we see of people from every tribe and tongue and nation standing before the throne, praising God for His glory and His grace could become reality. That it wouldn't be a bunch of Jews in that picture in Revelation, but that God would be praised for His grace by a diverse people. That was God's intention from the very beginning, and that is what Paul is showing us here. So the promise to Abraham and his descendants was realized and fulfilled through faith and not through the law. Now this essentially would cement Paul's doctrine of justification by faith alone, especially for the Jewish Christian. To point back to the father of their faith and say that all this happened by faith for Abraham and not through the law. But we still need to ask ourselves the question, why is Paul spending all this time defending his position? He spent an entire chapter here making three points about Abraham in order to uphold the fact that we are made right before God on the basis of faith alone. Why does he do that? And what does this have to do with our lives and the growth of our faith? 
Brothers and sisters, if you're sitting in your chair, kind of glazed over, sitting back thinking, this is absolutely meaningless for the way I live my everyday life, you've missed an opportunity to grow in your faith. You see, Paul here is not saying all of these things, using Abraham in this way, simply to show off his theological ability. No, he is rooting his gospel message in the message of the Old Testament to show us the unified plan of God from the very beginning. Now, why is that not very meaningful to us? It's not very meaningful to us because we're not Jewish. Think about this for a moment. When Jesus came on the scene and started preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and when Paul, after Jesus, came and started preaching the same gospel of faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, by the grace of God alone for salvation, why do we see so much pushback from the Jews? Because Jesus and Paul were turning Judaism upside down. They were completely turning it upside down, completely changing or viewing differently what was said in the Old Testament. How difficult would it have been for a Jew to accept this message if they didn't see how it was intimately consistent with what God said previously? They would have just thought, oh, this is just another another gospel, another message that has come to us. But it's not consistent with what God has shown to us already. So we're just going to stick with what we had previously. See, Paul is laboring to show the beautiful consistency between the message of God in the Old Testament and the gospel that we see preached in the New Testament to show us that this is one unified story, one unified theology, one unified way to be made right with God so that these Jewish Christians would be able to see that and to accept this gospel as being true and genuine. Now that still doesn't tell us what that has to do with us because we're not Jewish, right? What does this have to do with the building of your faith? Brothers and sisters, I think that one of the reasons why we often struggle in our faith in God is because we are so unfamiliar with this book. Because we don't know it well enough. Because we don't see the beautiful consistency of the Old and New Testament and how they beautifully come together and how Jesus is the complete fulfillment of everything that we see in the Bible. You know what that does for us when we see that and when we realize that and when we believe that? Brothers and sisters, when we can trust the Word of God, we can trust the God who gave us the Word. But if we can't trust the Word, our trust in God is going to be minimal at best. You can't split or divide your trust in what God has spoken with your trust of Him as a person. That is why this is important for us. To see this consistency. This is one of the things that I I, I tell people in my biblical interpretation class that I teach. When we look at the beautiful consistency of the Old and New Testament and how it all works together. 
I tell people this is one of the most amazing and beautiful things that convinces me that this is the divine and authoritative word of God to humanity. And it builds my faith, strengthens my faith to see that. So don't glaze over here when you see Paul making these connections. It should be building our faith, making us trust the one who planned and wrote the message and delivered it to us. So the first thing that Paul has done here is that he has further proved the necessity of faith alone for salvation by showing us that the promise given to Abraham and his offspring was realized through faith. And now Paul looks at the details of Abraham's story in order that our faith might increase. So look with me at verses 18 through 22. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, many people read this passage and think that Paul is elevating Abraham as an example to follow because of his great faith. Now, it is true that Paul speaks of Abraham's faith in glowing terms, right? Highly. He speaks very highly of Abraham's faith. But I don't think that Paul's focus is here on the quality of Abraham's faith. Rather, I think that what Paul is focused on is the object of Abraham's faith, namely God himself. You see, brothers and sisters, we have to understand that Abraham's faith and our faith never comes into existence or grows through looking inside of ourselves and mustering up the willpower to believe. That's just a misunderstanding of how faith functions in our lives. No, faith comes and grows through knowing God. Paul's going to talk about this later when we get to Romans chapter 10. Faith comes through knowing God. So when we look at this story of Abraham, we shouldn't be asking, what was it about Abraham that made his faith so great? That would simply be the wrong emphasis. The question that we need to ask is what did Abraham see of God that produced his great faith? Now both Paul and the Genesis account show us two things that Abraham saw of God that gave him this great faith. Abraham saw the power of God and the faithfulness of God. So look with me again at verses 18 and 19, and we'll see how Paul summarizes how Abraham saw the power of God. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So what brought Abraham to the place of being able to hope against hope and to not weaken in faith when he considered the inability of Sarah and himself to have a child? What brought him to have this type of faith, this quality of faith? Back up to verse 17. In whose presence does Paul say that Abraham believed? In the presence of the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You see, Paul is clearly emphasizing the power of God, showing that Abraham's faith came through his reflection on God's power. Now, how does the Genesis account actually unfold this for us? How did God display his power to Abraham? Hold your finger in our Romans passage and turn all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 15. Keep your finger in Genesis 15, too, because we're going to jump back and forth here for the next little bit. So verses 1 through 6 of Genesis 15 show us what God showed to Abraham of his power that brought about this great faith in him. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him. As righteousness. Look again at verse 5. And he brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. You see, God brought Abraham to reflect on his creative power as he gazed at the stars that God called into existence. I can only imagine what Abraham was thinking as he gazed at the night sky. If God is able to call into existence out of nothing these millions and millions of stars, can he not also call into existence for me a son that does not exist? You see, it was through reflecting 
on God's creative power that brought Abraham to the place of trusting in God and and having his faith in him to do what Abraham and Sarah could not do on their own. It wasn't through an admirable exertion of the will that Abraham believed God. It was from gazing upon the glory of God's power that this faith came to Abraham. This is what led him to hope against hope and to not weaken in his faith. This is the first characteristic that Abraham saw of God that gave birth to his faith, the power of God. And the second characteristic that Abraham saw was the faithfulness of God. Look at verses 20 through 22 of our Romans chapter. Keep your finger in Genesis. Verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Where did Abraham's confidence faith come from that God would be faithful to his promise. Back to Genesis 15. Keep your finger in Romans. We're going to end there. Right after God led Abraham to behold his power in calling him to number the stars, verse 7, we see the narrative continue. And Abram, or and God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He's looking for confidence. He's looking for assurance. That which Paul says he obtained. How does he obtain it? Verse 9. God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them end against end. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful darkness fell upon him. Skip down to verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, most of you, if you don't know this story well, are probably really confused as to how that gave Abraham confidence. Let me explain it to you. God answers Abraham's request for assurance that he will be faithful to his promise by performing an ancient covenant ritual. 
These rituals were often performed between conquering kings and those that they conquered. And what they would do is the conquering king would often promise to protect the people that he conquered while requiring things from them in return for his protection. And the way that they would seal this agreement or this covenant is they would cut some animals in half and lay them end over end, making an aisle way that you could walk through. And then what they would do is each representative from each side would walk through the split animal pieces. And walking through the animal halves was meant to symbolically evoke a curse on the parties should they not fulfill their side of the covenant. By walking through the animal pieces, they were saying, if I don't do everything I have promised to do for you, may I be like these pieces, split in two. Now, the shocking part about this ritual in our passage is that only one party passes through the pieces, and it's not Abraham. Look at verse 17 in Genesis. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, we see God appear to his people as a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire. And that's what we see here. This cloud of smoke and this smoking fire pot, as the text says, pass through the pieces. This is a representation of God. So in this scene, we see God passes through the split animal pieces. And by doing so, he confirms that he will be faithful to his promise to Abraham. He says, Abraham, if I do not fulfill the promise that I have given to you, may I be like these animal pieces severed in two. And God doesn't require Abraham to walk through them. God says, I am going to accomplish it. It's not going to be dependent upon you. Know for certain that I will keep my promise, as the text says in Genesis. In this ritual, God displays his covenant faithfulness to Abraham. You see, it was not some special power or trait in Abraham that produced a faith that grew and that was fully convinced, as our passage in Romans says. It wasn't about what was in Abraham. Abraham's faith was of such a quality because God showed him his power and faithfulness in amazing ways. And it was through gazing upon the power and faithfulness of God that this faith was produced in Abraham. Now you may be thinking that's all well and good for Abraham, but what about me? What has God shown me of his power and faithfulness? He hasn't come to me in a vision and done some crazy, awesome covenant ritual. Where should my faith be that it might exist and that it might grow? What has he shown of me that I might have a growing and fully convinced faith? 
Brothers and sisters, the answer is that God has shown you so much more than he ever showed Abraham. So much more. What God showed to Abraham was truly amazing. This covenant ritual that displayed his faithfulness to Abraham and calling him to gaze upon the creative power of God and numbering the stars. But these things pale in comparison to what God has shown to us. Brothers and sisters, we have been shown a display of God's power and faithfulness that I mean this literally exceeds beyond measure what was given to Abraham. Enough with the suspense already. What is it, right? Back to Romans 4. Paul tells us in verses 23 through 25. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, that is God, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Brothers and sisters, the greatest display of God's power and faithfulness that the world has ever known stands at the foot of the cross and the empty tomb. God told Abraham to gaze upon his creative power in looking at the stars. And his faith grew and came into existence. God showed Abraham his faithfulness by creating and and producing this covenant with him. And it produced this great faith in him. But God tells us to look and gaze into the face of Jesus Christ, crucified and raised from the dead as the greatest display of God's power and faithfulness that our faith might exceed that of Abraham. This is what Abraham longed to see. And this is what we get to see. Abraham stood so many years before the greatest event in history, and we stand on the other side of it. And God tells us to look to Jesus for our faith, both for the first time and for the thousandth time. So friends, do you find yourself here today with no faith, having never entrusted yourself to God? I'm glad you're here, by the way, if that's you. Look to Jesus. Look to the greatest display of God's power and faithfulness. Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Gaze upon his glory. Brothers and sisters, do you find yourself here today with weak, stagnant, doubting faith? Look to the greatest display of God's power and faithfulness in the face of Jesus Christ, buried and raised from the dead. And watch what God will do to your faith. Pray with me.
Father, thank you so much for this book of Romans that we have before us. And for the glory of what you have revealed to us of yourself and of your son and how you call us, Lord, to gaze into his glorious face, into your power and your faithfulness. Lord, that's why our faith doesn't grow because we take our eyes off of Jesus. We take our eyes off of the gospel. Let us leave this place, Lord, with our eyes firmly fixed on him, firmly fixed on your power and your faithfulness in the face of Jesus Christ and spirit of God as we do. Would you change us? Would you transform us into his very image? We ask these things that Christ might be formed in us, that we might be brought to the obedience of faith, and that we might honor you today. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.